You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. And as ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. On this edition, we're going to be reflecting on Arsenal's 1-0 victory over Wolverhampton Wanderers at Molyneux this evening. I did tell you guys in the preview it was going to be 1-0 to the Arsenal, uh, so I'm pretty chuffed with that. But obviously, I'm more chuffed with the result and the fact that Arsenal move up into fifth place and to within a point of West Ham United with two games in hand over David Moyes' side. Look, we're in a really positive position uh, at this stage of the season. We talked, um, or I talked earlier today on the 90 Min Show about the fact that although Manchester United and then Spurs dropping points kind of took some of the pressure off of us because of the fact that, you know, a, a poor or a disappointing or, or a draw even at Wolves wouldn't have been the end of the world. It also increased the pressure in another way, right? It was an opportunity that Arsenal had to take advantage of, really, you felt, if we were going to, or if we were going to continue our push towards the top four and continue to sustain a really solid challenge for that position. So I'm absolutely delighted with the result. There's no doubt about that. I think we were worthy winners in the end. And we'll come on to talk about some of the various incidents and we'll come on to dissect the game in a lot more detail. Though we've only been live for two minutes and there's already over 100 of you with me uh, in the live chat. Big hello to every single one of you. And I know it's late here in the UK especially, and I know it's even later in some other parts of the world. Uh, so thank you for staying with us. Don't forget, though, while you're here, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you are new. And if you'd like to go one further by becoming a member, you can do so uh, by clicking on the link in the description. We'd love to have you. Uh, if you fancy dropping us a super chat, go for it. Um, and of course, we'll be doing some questions towards the end of the show. But going to start off by sharing my thoughts on tonight's victory. I've talked about the significance of it, right? The significance is huge because not only was it an opportunity, as I say, to take advantage of the slip-ups from a couple of the other teams in and around us in the hunt also, it was a much-needed victory because January was a pretty dismal month for Arsenal in so many uh, different ways, you know, sendings off, injuries, absences, lots and lots of problems throughout the month of January. And people were starting to question again whether, A, you know, this team has what it takes. And I'm not saying we're there yet. There's a long way to go before we can be talking about a top four finish. But people were starting to question whether we'd fallen off, whether that sort of purple patch we had at the back end of last season was more from luck than anything else, whether Mikel Arteta had lost some of the dressing room off the back of what happened with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And so it was really good to see a spirited performance tonight and almost put a lot of those thoughts and rumours to bed. Now, let's let's kick off with the team selection. Mikel Arteta uh, picked the team that I think most of us felt was going to be the team. You know, I talked in the preview show about the Takahiro Tomiyasu thing. Mikel Arteta kept his cards pretty close to his chest on that. He did say, um, you know, yesterday that Takahiro Tomiyasu had been training, but that, of course, there was no guarantee that he would be uh, available and ready uh, to feature in 
uh, in tonight's game. It wasn't the case uh, that Tamiyasu was past fit. He was, of course, unavailable, which meant that Cedric Suarez came in at right back. So just to run you through the team, if you're catching up with things, it was Ramsdale in goal. It was Cedric, White, Gabriel, Tierney, Partey, Xhaka, Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli and Lacazette. Now, one of the things I was saying in the lead up to the game was, and we were having this debate, you know, should it be Ben White at right back or should it be Cedric Suarez? Obviously, Ben White playing at right back would have meant that Rob Holding started the game. And as I said to you guys yesterday, and I kind of came around more to the idea as well after the show, and, and I was saying it to uh, my dad and my brothers who I was watching the game with this evening. I'm a really big believer that you shouldn't weaken two positions in an attempt to try and fix one. And I think in the past, Mikel Arteta's got caught out by that. I know I always use this example, but the semi-final of the Europa League, where we got beaten by Villarreal, if you remember, he moved Granit Xhaka out of the midfield and put him in at left-back. So he was weakening us in both positions by doing that, right? Because Xhaka was important in the midfield. He took him out of there and he put him at left-back, a player that isn't a left-back. And what you end up doing, sometimes you can overthink it and you can make too many changes and that disrupts things. Um, even though obviously the intentions are right. So I think he was right to go with Cedric Suarez. And I have to say, I thought Cedric had a decent game tonight. I don't think he was amazing. I think there were a couple of moments where he gave the ball away sloppily. And obviously he's not on the level of Takahiro Tomiyasu, but I think he gave a good account of himself tonight. I really, really do. And I think that just like we're very quick to kind of jump on people when they don't perform, um, I think we have to give him a lot of praise here. So let's run through... Uh, the team, and we'll talk about some of the individuals uh, as well. Aaron Ramsdale, I thought, had a pretty solid game. White and Gabriel, I thought Gabriel was immense, obviously got the goal as well. Ben White in the first half was a little bit suspect for me. Um, he really, really was. I, I thought he was a little bit suspect. Um, I thought his positioning was a little bit off. I thought he kept getting sucked into the midfield. Um, and often Thomas Partey was having to plug holes for him. And I also think that in the first half, Kieran Tierney was a little bit um, all over the shop as well. There were a couple of occasions Wolves broke forward. And I know that Kieran Tierney is asked to bomb on. I know that that's part of his role and it's part of his job. But if he's going to bomb on, he's got to be effective in the final third to make it worth the risk. And I didn't think he was. Um, so, yeah, I was uh, I was a little bit concerned about his first half performance. Partey and Xhaka did OK for me. Um, you know, in the middle of the park, they, they gave me exactly what I thought we were going to get. Obviously, huge concern to see both of them pick up yellow cards in the first half. And Granit Xhaka's one. Look, I defend Granit Xhaka so, so much. And it's moments like that where I sit there and I think, why do I bother? Because he, he's clearly been beaten by the man, OK? Gabriel's on the edge of the box and he's waiting to deal with the situation. It's not as though the guy's going through a goal. And Granit Xhaka just decides to pull his shirt, but not just pull it. He holds on to it for what feels like an age and then can't believe that he's shown a yellow card. So that was a silly, silly one from Granite Jacker. And at that point, I thought, here we go. And, and I actually tweeted at half time in the game and I said, what are the chances of Arsenal ending this game with 10 men? Uh, and, you know, so many people sort of replied and said, yeah, that's going to happen, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we were all looking at Partey and we were all looking at, in particular, Granite Xhaka. And it happened to be Gabriel Martinelli. But we'll come on to talk about the Martinelli thing in just a bit. I thought Martin Odegaard was pretty good tonight. A little bit low-key um, in terms of what he actually did in the final third. But I thought he was really neat and tidy in a lot of areas. Um, Saka on the right, I thought probably could have done more. But 
The brilliant thing about Saka is that every time he gets the ball, he's a threat and he's a problem. And he's got that ability to just beat people um, really easily and really simply and, and get himself into really good areas. But by his standards, I just felt that he was slightly under par tonight. I've got to be honest. Obviously, he then had to make way um, to accommodate the substitution after Martinelli had been sent off, who actually up until that point had been one of Arsenal's live wires and had worked extremely hard. And it was a pretty standard Gabriel Martinelli performance. Lacazette worked hard up top again. I thought there were a couple of times where I was looking at him and thinking, you know, you're just you're just blowing a little bit here, Lacquer. And, and it was a little bit frustrating. But I think for me, um, I've got to say, I, I think that he put in a good shift as a captain and obviously played a big part in the goal as well. He uh, made sure that he got something on the ball. He threw himself into harm's way in order to get there ahead of Jose Sardi, Wolves goalkeeper. No question about it. I know Wolves were appealing for a foul. That's certainly not a foul. Uh, the goal was right to stand. And there was Gabriel sort of waiting uh, to stab it in from close range. So in terms of Arsenal's overall performance, I thought that, you know, we, we probably could have created more as an attacking outlet. But then I kept thinking during the game, well, yeah, I'm saying that because obviously in an ideal world, you want Arsenal to create tons and tons of chances. But this is a very good, stubborn, solid um, you know, Wolverhampton Wanderers side with a very, very good defensive record. I think they've got the second best defensive record in the Premier League or had that going into this game. And so, you know, we were away at Molyneux, good atmosphere. Um, and, and ultimately, it wasn't going to be easy. I thought we defended well for large periods. I thought we did really well at pressing Wolves quite high up the pitch um, at certain points. I still think that we could do with doing that a little bit more frequently. I still think we kind of do it in spurts. We do it for sort of 10, 15 minutes and then we drop off a little bit. Maybe that's something that's been introduced because Arsenal found or Mikel Arteta found that the team couldn't maintain it for longer periods. I don't know. But that is what I've decided I want to talk about on tomorrow's tactical analysis. We're going to focus on the pressing because I thought it was done high up the pitch very, very well, um, you know, uh, on numerous occasions this evening. I think for me, when you go down to 10 men in a game like that, you're 1-0 up. It's all about getting the result. And it wasn't pretty after we went down to 10 men. It was backs to the wall. We did go to that formation that we adopted at Anfield where uh, somebody was sacrificed. We brought on an additional centre-half, Rob Holding, who, by the way, when he came on, I thought was sensational. We plunked him in the middle of the back three. And we uh, reverted to a narrow midfield trio. And then, of course, uh, we left the striker up top. Uh, Eddie Nketiah came on to give us a bit more legs in that position after Lacazette had, had run out of steam. But, yeah, really, really um, good to see Arsenal defend effectively. Uh, really good to see Arsenal hold on. And you could see at the final whistle what that win uh, meant to everybody. Uh, let me just uh, jump over to the live chat because we have got a super chat uh, from Tio. Thank you uh, so, so much for your very, very kind donation, my friend. Really, really appreciate it. Um, He's talking about the Martinelli sending off. And we're going to come on to talk about this in a lot more detail in a moment. But he says, no player will remember while running to do his defensive duties that he might already have a red card. Martinelli did nothing wrong. Look, my view on this is pretty clear. I think that the best way to sum up that decision from Michael Oliver is, is with the term that Martin Keown used in the post-match analysis on BT Sport. He called Michael Oliver's decision to send off Gabriel Martinelli for that 
as pedantic. And I was sitting there with my dad and my brothers and we were watching the game and we were trying to work out if the referee had some kind of, you know, some kind of ground to send him off, some kind of justification for it. And we did look it up at the time. And actually, by the rules, by the laws of the game, the referee can do that. And that's why it's not incorrect, right? Like, as much as I, I didn't like it and it frustrated me, the fact of the matter is it's not incorrect, but it's pedantic. It's one of those things that you know, or, or I didn't know was there, but people will know is there, but they v very rarely reach for it. They very rarely decide to take that course of action. It's a bit like the idea of the goalkeeper holding the ball in his hands, right? We all know that it's supposed to be six seconds or whatever it is. More often than not, particularly when a team are winning a football match, that goalkeeper will take longer. That goalkeeper will take sometimes 10, sometimes 11 seconds. But when have you ever seen a referee actually go up to a goalkeeper and brandish a yellow card for holding on to the ball for more than six seconds? It's one of those things that's in football, but it's just a bit pedantic to pick at it all the time. Now, if we see this week in, week out, I wouldn't have such a big problem with it. But in all my years of watching football, I don't ever remember an incident like that. And Mikel Arteta, uh, I thought, was spot on in his post-match interview when he said, to give a red card like that, you've probably got to be quite willing to do it. And it just feels like there's this narrative around Arsenal now, right? Arsenal, the indisciplined ones. Arsenal, the ones who can't control their players. Mikel Arteta, the manager, who can't work out how to stop his players getting sent off week in, week out. And therefore, that plays on people's minds. It's in the back of people's minds. Even if it's an unconscious bias, it's a bias. There's a bias towards Arsenal in those kind of situations. And I think when you actually look back at all of the red cards we've had during Mikel Arteta's tenure, a fair few of them were red cards and were correct decisions, but a fair few of them were nonsense decisions as well. And that's what really, really irritates me and really frustrates me because it's one of those things, as I say, it's pedantic. You know, Michael Oliver, you know, ha has decided to give that tonight. But I, I can almost guarantee that nine times out of 10, if not more, 99 times out of 100, the referee books Gabriel Martinelli for the second incident and makes sure he goes up to him, gets in his face and warns him that he saw the previous one. You know, if I, if I was a referee, OK, and I'm not an elite level referee. We all know that. I don't think I could run as much as they do. But if I was the referee, I jog over to Gabriel Martinelli after he's committed the foul, the second incident. I show him the yellow card and I say, Gabby, I'm booking you. But I saw what you did there. I saw that you blocked the throwing. I saw that you attempted to block the throwing. And now I'm watching you. One more incident. One more transgression, miss, uh, you know, whatever you call it. And I'm going to show you a second yellow card. That's what a good referee does. A referee who's in control and a referee who has, you know, who allows the game to flow as much as possible within reason, obviously, but also, you know, wants to lay down the law and wants people to have respect for him. I, I think with referees, right, we talk a lot about players having a, a lack of respect for referees. Players are never going to be uh, all smiley with you as a referee, right? Because they're always trying to intimidate. They're always trying to get something 
for their own gain. They're always trying to benefit in some way from the influence that they have over you. But, you know, I, I do think, and I, and I remember from when I played football, there were certain referees in our league that I might not have agreed with every single decision they made, but I had respect for them. And, I, you know, if I'd get penalised for something, I'd have a word. And I was a forward. I was always asking for free kicks and penalties. You know, I'd go and have a word, but there were certain referees who I respected. And I, and I did get to learn that if you haven't given it, it's because you haven't seen it. And it's because you're not sure. And while my opinion might be different, I respect that and I can understand and I'll get on with it. Right. But the Premier League referees do the complete opposite of that. They're pedantic at times. They let things go um, at times that should definitely be punished. And it's just, you know, there's just no there's no sorry consistency whatsoever. As I say, there is a, a bias towards Arsenal when it comes to red cards and it might be unconscious. It might be conscious too. It might be unconscious, but ultimately there is still a bias and that's been there for years. It's not new. You know, how many red cards did we used to get in the Arsene Wenger days? It's not new. It's that same, you know, same old Arsenal, always cheating the crowd, get on their soapboxes and start singing that song. And it's something that we've had to deal with for many, many years. It used to happen in George Graham's day. It's it, For me, it's, um, you know, it's really, really frustrating. So to then go on and win that game, in spite of that, is what's so encouraging. Because we managed to, you know, in those situations, you can be so pissed off and so angry that you, you then lose your head. You lose your call. And when you lose your call, you make stupid decisions and stupid decisions can cost you the game. But what Arsenal did, I thought really well, and maybe what shows signs of maturity is that Arsenal managed to channel that frustration and the feeling of injustice, if you like, in the right way. That Arsenal managed to get back focused and used it as something to spur them on. And I think that's really, really important. Bear with me. Just uh, sticking the phone on charge before it dies. Whoops. Here we go. OK, so look, I, I don't think it, it should have been a red card. I think a yellow card was was perfectly sufficient. Um, and I think a yellow card and a warning for Gabriel Martinelli was the right course of action for Michael Oliver to take. He's decided to be, as I say, and I, it's my buzzword of the day, pedantic. Um, he's decided to literally be the guy that flips open the book and looks for any excuse to send you off. And he's done that tonight. And, and it's a shame because I thought Gabriel Martinelli was very, very good up until that point and played a really key role for Arsenal. Once again, it's not, you know, it's not like the Xhaka incidents. It's not moment of a moment of stupidity. You know, people blocking throw-ins being taken quickly or standing on top of the ball when people want to take a free kick quickly. That shit happens 10 15 times a game in some fixtures, particularly when there's a bit of needle to the game. You know, how many times did Gabriel drop to the ground sort of claiming he was injured? How many times did we time waste in certain situations? How many times did Burnley time waste um, when they came to the Emirates a few weeks back? How many, you know, moments like that do you see in football? Blocking free kicks, etc. It's, it's just, it's part and parcel of the game. And I think as a referee, you want to try and keep a lid on it, but the way you do that is by earning the respect of the players rather than sort of withdrawing yourself, becoming a bit of a robot 
and, and, and being pedantic like Michael Oliver was tonight. But let's talk about the performance because, look, I, I mean, it, it wasn't amazing. Like, we didn't go there and, and completely blow Wolverhampton Wanderers out of, out of the water and off the park. But, you know, we scored a good goal from a set piece. Um, two players in particular were involved in it. Lacazette did a great bit of work in the build-up to it. Gabriel was on hand to finish it. We defended really well for the most part. We we worked Wolves into wider areas more so when we went down to 10 men uh, and with the extra centre-half looked at sort of defending those balls uh, in the centre of the penalty area. We managed it really, really well. And I think for that, Arsenal and Mikel Arteta deserve lots of praise, lots of credit. It's a big victory. It puts us in a really strong position, although it's not done and dusted. Let's not get carried away. But I think it's another night where you look at this team and you say, I can get behind this. I'm invested in this. I'm engaged in this because if the performance isn't up to scratch or, or if things aren't quite as silky and as smooth as you want them to be in terms of the football played, the least you want to see and the very minimum that you expect is aggression, fight, passion, desire, um, effort. And I thought we saw all of that. I, I thought we saw all of that uh, this evening. So really, really pleased, of course. Um, right, let's go over to the chat box and see what you guys are saying. You know what? Drop some questions in the chat box for me. We'll pick up as many of them uh, as we possibly can between now and the end of the show. There's plenty of time to go, so we should get through uh, loads and loads of them. Uh, just a quick reminder, though, if you haven't done so already, please do hit that like button because there is over 700 of you live with me right now across the multiple platforms, which is incredible because it's 11 p.m. here in the UK. I know it's later in other places. Let me know where you're joining us from as well in the live chat. I did put a poll up uh, in the live chat, which you can still vote on. It's had 420 votes so far. Did Martinelli deserve to be sent off? 66% of you say no. 34% of you say yes. Now, listen, normally I'd, I'd kind of like try and dig you lot out. You lot. Yeah. Uh, the ones who are uh, saying that he deserved to be sent off. But this is it goes back to what I was saying. I don't think it was incorrect. Like, I do think both of those incidents in isolation are worthy of yellow cards. I've just never seen it happen like that before. And I just thought it was completely unnecessary, um, the decision to, to send him off. I just thought it was, as I keep saying, pedantic. Uh, right. 161 likes on the board. Let's get that up to 250 ASAP. There's more then enough of you in the chat box to get that done. And of course, subscribe to the channel if you're new. We want to get to 20,000 by the end of the season here on YouTube alone, which would take our overall subscribership to over 35,000, which is unbelievable. Um, so please do subscribe to the YouTube channel if you are new. Uh, hopefully we can hit 19K uh, in the next couple of weeks and then move on and push on uh, from there. People joining us from all over the world at the moment. Rory is in Manila, in the Philippines. Wow. Um, what else have we got? Uh, we've got India, where it's 4.26 p.m. Oh, that's not too bad. Uh, Robert joins us from Los Angeles. Nice part of the world. We've got Atla Atlanta in the USA, I think that is. We've got uh, Zeus is in India. We've got Istanbul. Uh, lots of different places. Fantastic. Right. Let's get let's get to some of these questions because there's some really good ones in here. We've got Nigeria, Las Vegas, uh, Belgium. Wow. Brilliant. OK, we'll get back to some of that a little bit later. 
Um, <laughs> uh, Steve Stone, one of our members, he says, dig, dig me out, Harry. I don't mind. I still love you. I love you too, man. But um, look, as I say, it wasn't incorrect in terms of the two incidents in isolation, but it's unnecessary, really unnecessary. Uh, I did see a question somewhere about Cedric Suarez. Here it is from Ben Russell. And we'll talk about him a little bit more. Thoughts on Cedric's performance. He did well for me today. Yeah, look, I was a little bit worried about this going into the game because one of the things we saw at Brighton earlier on in the season, if you cast your mind back, was Arsenal play against the side with three centre-backs and two wing-backs and really struggle to get out. Uh, we saw Arsenal get pinned back have their backs against the wall for large periods. And then not only did Brighton have advantages in the wide areas, they started to overload us in midfield by pushing one of the centre-backs in there sometimes and dropping their striker a little bit deeper and really overwhelming us in those areas of the pitch. And I thought we were awful that day. I thought Brighton was so on top that day. And maybe off the back of that, and obviously sort of being scarred from some of the recent performances against Chelsea. Anytime I see us come up against a side that plays with a back three and two wing backs, I'm always a little bit wary. I'm always intrigued as to how Arsenal are going to try and combat that. And we will talk about it uh, in the tactical analysis show tomorrow. Uh, that's Friday if you're listening via the audio platform. So later today, we'll get that out to you. We'll talk about how Arsenal cope with that because I did think there were some lessons uh, that have been learned. And it was very clear to see that those lessons had been learned. And I'm I'm delighted with the way we handled it. But I've gone around the houses. Going back to Cedric, ultimately, that was why I was more worried than normal about Cedric being in the side. But the thing with Cedric is, is that if you can get him squeezed up to the halfway line, and if you can get him to primarily operate in the opponent's half, he's actually a decent footballer. Now, I'm not overreacting to his performance today. And I know a lot of people are going to give me stick for this. Um, in the chat, I'm not saying that I want to see Cedric play every single day, every single week, etc., etc. All I'm saying is that he's much better in possession than he is out of it. He's a player who wants to get forward, who wants to put crosses into the box, has a pretty decent delivery on him. I thought he played a wonderful ball into the box in the first half for Lacazette, who got across his man at the near post, but unfortunately couldn't make contact with it. I think he's got a good delivery. It's when he's running back the other way, you've got a bit of a problem. And I think, as I said at the top of the show, credit where credit is due. He didn't look totally out of place tonight. I'm not going to go as far as saying he was excellent. I've seen some people saying he was excellent. And I get there's always a bit of that, right? When you see a player get heavily criticised and then he turns in a performance, there's a part of us. It's like natural human kind of reaction to go, oh, no, he was fucking excellent tonight. What are you talking about? What do you know? Cedric's wonderful. He's brilliant. I wouldn't go that far. But I thought he was uh, he was decent tonight. I, I really did. Um, let's keep moving through the chat. Let's pick up some more um, of your thoughts, some more of your questions. Plenty uh, to choose uh, from. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Uh, let's just take this comment from Sebastian, who says, joining from Denmark. Good win today. Not a great performance, but enough to win. Massive three points in the race for the top four. Completely agree, man. Uh, completely agree. Uh, Alazar says uh, it was a smart decision. It's in the rules. The fact that Martinelli thought he could get away with it makes it necessary from Ethiopia. Uh, I don't really share that opinion because I just think it's something that we see week in, week out. And I don't mind if people are punished for it week in, week out. I'm talking about stuff like blocking throws and, and all that nonsense because 
you know, it's it's something that goes on in the game all the time. And, and the inconsistencies, the frustration, some referees choose to punish it. Others don't. I certainly can't remember another referee doing what Michael Oliver did tonight. And I'm sure that players have done things similar to what Martinelli done tonight. Uh, Innie says, uh, love this podcast. Like and subscribe, people. Yes, please do. Uh, it really, really does help. Uh, Damien Kelly says, Tierney wasn't good today. Lacazette missing chances again. Yeah, I, I, as I mentioned a little bit earlier on, I didn't think that Kieran Tierney was particularly effective tonight. I thought at times he tucked in a little too close to Gabriel as well. And I know I always talk when we do tactical shows about the need to tuck in and kind of uh, defend the width of your penalty area first and foremost. But I thought there were times where he was a little bit slow getting out when Wolves were coming down the right-hand side. And we actually saw both Granit Xhaka and Thomas Partey at times have to go across and clean up uh, for the fullbacks. I'll circle back to Xhaka in a minute because there's a point I just want to make on him. But I do think Tierney was was slightly ineffective today and not for the first time this season. I think with Kieran Tierney, the, the issue is that obviously he likes to get forward and obviously that's an instruction. He doesn't do it off his own back. It's something that... Mikel Arteta wants to see and, and clearly encourages. But my issue with it at the moment is that if we're not reaping the rewards from it in the final third, i.e. he's not effective in that area of the park, then do I want to see us taking the risk that obviously comes with that and leaving ourselves exposed at the back? And the answer is no, because I don't want to see Granit Xhaka turning and chasing back. I've said before that I think he does a good job positionally of filling that space and covering that void when Tierney bombs on. But from time to time, when he comes up against certain opponents, it's a big problem for us. There was also a situation in the first half where the right back was completely caught out as well. And we saw Granit Xhaka that time coming over to the right-hand side and he committed a foul, which I thought he was going to get booked for, and he didn't. But the point here is that we know what, what Xhaka's limitations are. We're asking him to cover both fullbacks at some, at certain points, getting across the pitch, and it's just simply not on. Like, that's not to say he's perfect, and that's not to say that, you know, he hasn't got faults, but we cannot keep asking or expecting Granit Xhaka to do something that he's just not built to do. And that's why, if we're going to play this way, we do need to get a central midfielder who is a little bit more mobile. And I'm not even sure that Thomas Partey is mobile enough at times to do that. The other interesting point about the midfield, I'm sorry, Damien, I will circle back to your question. It's just why this is in my mind. I don't want to forget it. It was really interesting, particularly in the first half, to see that when Arsenal were pressing high up the pitch, that Xhaka was the one that was pressing further up the pitch and that Thomas Partey was the one who was designated as the one-man uh, defensive anchor. Now, is that to do with mobility? I'd imagine so. But again, we're going to explore that a little bit more on tomorrow's show. Lacazette missing chances again, says Damien. Yeah, look, we know that Lacazette's not clinical though, right? That's not news to anyone, I don't think. I think we can all um, sort of say that that was something we were well aware of before. As I keep saying to you guys, the, the beauty of Lacazette is that he will create opportunities for others and he'll create spaces and he'll work hard and he'll hold the ball up and he'll link up. But it, goals, you're not going to get them. You know, we never really have got them consistently enough from Alex Lacazette. Like I looked at sort of his best couple of seasons. I think there's 17 and 18 goals, but those goals tend to come in spurts. Lacazette seems to have these patches where he'll pick up, I don't know, six and 10 
and then he won't score for like five. And then it's it's very much like that. He's a bit of a streaky striker, uh, if you want to call it that. Okay, let's see what else we've got. Sam Nichols says, without wanting to be negative, does the Lacazette miss? And I, and I know you're talking about the one where he was played through on goal. That was a really bad miss, by the way. Um, he needed to hit the target there. Does the Lacazette miss highlight our deficiencies in front of goal and raise concerns about our ability to kill games off? Yeah, look, there are concerns about that. But as I keep saying, if you can defend, you always stand the chance of winning games by the old goal and nicking points. And I think tonight, although I wouldn't go as far as saying we nicked the points because I thought we were good value for them. You know, you the game was won based on the fact that we didn't concede because, you know, that goal, it's not a goal that you would say, you know, it's, you wouldn't say we created a shit ton of chances. And so that goal was inevitable. We, we didn't really create all that much in terms of clear cut opportunities outside of that one Lacazette opportunity that you're talking about. So the defence was the key tonight is the point I'm trying to make. And I just think that, yeah, there are concerns about that. I think that other players need to chip in with goals. For example, I think if that's Martinelli racing through, he scores. Um, you know, I, I think that Lack has got an issue with one-on-ones. I think he's always had that. Um, and yeah, I just I remember one against Villarreal in the semi-final having all these bad flashbacks at the moment, which was awful. But yeah, it's a concern. But we all know, again, don't we, like, that we need a striker and we need to improve in that area. So it shouldn't come as, as news to anyone. Let's see um, what else we've got. Uh, Steve Stone says, my last negative post, I promise. I thought Thomas Partey had a very poor game. I thought his passing was woeful. See, I was thinking this in the first half, right? I thought positionally he done really well but there were times where his passing was off and there were times in the second half where his passing was off but I still think that a below par Thomas Partey takes up the right positions and provides you good protective cover for your back line so I'm a bit reluctant to really highlight that but I'm sure in tomorrow's tactical analysis show we can dive into the stats and facts around that a little bit more remind me if you're with us uh, in the live stream um Edward Murphy says, I turned off the match when another Arsenal player decided to do his best to lose the game. Mind you, he was the one that who looked like he wanted to win up until that. Usual predictable rubbish. Edward, we won, man. We won. Like, <laughs> I don't get this. I, I, and, and this is not specific to you, Edward, because I've seen lots of people uh, on social media. I've even had mates of mine texting me. We were fucking lucky tonight, weren't we? Look, this was a game that we just needed to win. This was a game that had we drawn it, you would have turned around, a lot of I would have turned around and said, not ideal, frustrating, disappointing, opportunity missed. But given the results that took place around us, it isn't a disaster. That's how I would have looked at it. I would have tried to look at it as a glass half full um, rather than half empty. But I would have been frustrated. The fact that we've won this game is huge. It's massive. It is massive because it really enhances our position. It gets that monkey off our back where we've really struggled through January and we've gone a long time without a positive result. And we did it with fight and we did it with spirit. You know, the only negative tonight is that Martinelli is now suspended. That's literally the only negative. Everything else is a positive. And... I'm I'm getting drained by, you know, people who 
even when we win, want to find something to really kind of complain about. I think constructive criticism is is fine. And, and I've talked about things that I didn't think we did particularly well. But if your overall energy is, is one of negativity when your team's just won, why do you watch football? And this is not specific to you, Edward. This is a general comment. But if that's the way you feel and football makes you that upset and gets you that pissed off, even when you win, what is the point? Maybe it's not the game for you. I don't know. Uh, Matios says, uh, I thought playing dirty was necessary today. Thank you uh, for your very kind donation as well, mate. Look, I think there's an element of, you know, we talk about playing dirty. We talk about tactical fouls a lot this day and age. Manchester City are the best team in the Premier League by a country mile, in my opinion. And a lot of that is, a lot of that is down to the fact that they, are pretty well-versed in the dark arts of the game as well. And what I mean by that is, look, they don't make leg-breaking tackles every week and they don't go around elbowing people and causing all sorts of shit, but they do foul tactically. They do know how to take the sting out of the game. They do know how to run the clock down. They do know how to make sure that they're standing on top of a free kick so it can't be taken quickly. All of those things that we talked about a little bit earlier on are things that Manchester City are wonderful at. And it's a, a side of the game that we don't like. Purists will say, you know, as I say, it's the dark arts. It's the dark side of the game. But ultimately, it works. And it's a big thing. And it really helps Man City. And it feels like since Mikel Arteta's arrived, we've managed to instill a lot more of that. I'm sure that's to do with the fact that he's been in and around Man City's setup and understands a lot of that. Probably learned it when he went there because he certainly didn't used to apply it as a player at Emirates Stadium, the amount of times I would be screaming, just take him out, Mikel, and he wouldn't do it. You know, he's clearly picked that up and he's instilled that into this group of players. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but I think it's probably gone a little too far one way and he needs to be able to swing that pendulum halfway back so that we can find that balance between, um, you know, doing all of those things, managing games in the right way, uh, disrupting the rhythm of our opponents when they're on top, but ending games with 11 men would be obviously preferable. <laughs> uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, Z says, the inconsistency in the Premier League referees' decisions is outrageous. Any suggestions on how to improve? Yeah, bin them all, every single one of them. Uh, no, look, jokes aside, I just think that the the standard of refereeing in this country is terrible. And I say this all the time, you know, people call this the best league in the world and for good reason. You know, it's it's certainly the most powerful league financially. It's certainly the most intriguing league in a lot of ways. It's got pretty much everything except for decent officials. And the reason that people get so frustrated by it is because there's so many talented and wonderful footballers here. There is so much to love. To see games decided by the man in the middle pretty much every week is incredibly frustrating. And, you know, for me, I would like to see them maybe bring in some different referees, freshen it up a little bit, go pluck some referees from abroad. I don't, I don't know. You know, the Premier League pay them handsomely. Go and get someone from somewhere else who will have a totally different and hopefully non-biased view on things. Because even if some of these biases, as I say, are unconscious biases, they're still there. They still exist. For example, Granit Xhaka makes a challenge. You're sitting there expecting it to be a yellow card. And then Cedric Suarez goes and makes a challenge of a very, very similar ilk. 
and you're not even worried about it. And that's you as an Arsenal fan. You have a bias in your head. You think that because it's Granit Xhaka, it's going to lead to a more severe punishment. Let alone the referee who's been studying every decision and watching them all back and trying to kind of get the handle on the players ahead of the game. So it, it does exist. Let's see what else we've got. Um, Ryan Finity says, Harry, question. Is our left side of Martinelli, Tierney and Xhaka highly predictable or is it just me? I think there are clear patterns of play that Mikel Arteta has implemented, i.e., you know, the Martinelli pulling um, or drifting inside, Tierney making the overlapping run and Xhaka dropping into that hole to cover him. Sometimes we do it the other way around and I quite like it when we do it this way around because I think it's often not what the opponent expects. You see Martinelli pull right out to the touchline and Tierney take, in, uh, take up a slightly inverted position. And again, Granite Xhaka covers. Is it a bit predictable? Yeah, it can be. And I think one of the big issues we've had when we've struggled to break teams down is that it's been really predictable down that left-hand side. We've worked the ball into, um, into Tierney and then put crosses in the box, which everybody knew were coming. And therefore, everybody's well-equipped to defend. So I, I get the point. Um, I, I, I do. I think it's a valid one. Uh, let's continue through uh, the chat box. Uh, Baguma says, uh, does Arteta deserve any credit for the right and timely sub of holding? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously he did it because we went down to 10 men. He obviously saw that putting Rob Holding in the heart of a back five is something that, you know, really benefited, benefited us at Anfield in the Carabao Cup. And so he's decided that, that he's going to do that then. And look, it's... Um, you know, some people will call it negative and will say that, you know, you're retreating. I think it's a, a weighing up of what the remainder of the game is going to look like. And do you sink that little bit deeper? Do you invite pressure on which could potentially lead to an equaliser? Of course you do. But it's a it's an associated risk. I think it's a calculated risk. And I think it's one that Mikel Arteta felt was right. And it proved right because he did it at Anfield when a lot of us thought that maybe... Uh, he was going to bring holding on and push White into the midfield. He didn't. Instead, he went to the back five. He's clearly got that in his locker now. And I think like the, the young players are developing, I think Mikel Arteta's game management is developing as well. OK, um, just going to take a, a couple more uh, of your questions before we wrap up, because it is really, really late. As I say, we'll be uh, we'll be coming back uh, tomorrow with some more in-depth tactical analysis off the back of this one, which I'm really looking forward to doing. But just before I dive back into the chat for a few more questions, we'll check in on the poll once again. 625 of you have now cast your vote, 626. And still 66% of you believe that Gabriel Martinelli was hard done by in the sending off. There's over 700 of you watching on YouTube alone, which is unbelievable. So there's no reason why we can't get this up to 300 likes. We're on 246. Come on, let's um, let's drive that up. It really, really does help. And of course, subscribe to the channel if you're new. No freeloaders. Uh, Zeus says, uh, are we favourites for the top four? Not for me. Not for me. I, I still don't make us favourites. I think we've got a really, really good chance. But if I was a betting man, I wouldn't make us favourites just because of a few reasons. I think we're still going to get inconsistent performances from this young crop of players. I think that we are short in terms of the squad and I fear that one or two injuries could be a really, really big problem for us. 
And I know we keep talking about the games in hand and the games in hand are obviously, um, you know, a positive, but they're only positives if you win them. And when you think about the games we've had postponed, one of them was Wolves and we play them at the Emirates in a couple of weeks time. We've had the game against Chelsea in the World Club Cup postponed because they're of their participation in that competition. A game away at Chelsea, I'm not expecting anything from that. And of course, we had the game with Spurs away postponed. So they're not easy games by any stretch of the imagination. And for that reason, I can't sit here and say that we're favourites just yet. I still make Manchester United the favourites. And I know that sounds crazy because they failed to beat Burnley the other day. But I still think they're a team full of match wing winners uh, that could click into gear at any point. So I still slightly make Man United uh, favourites. Uh, Johnny Wanderling says, Harry, a question. Do you have to dye the grey hairs out of your beard after watching Arsenal? Yeah, I'm going to get to that point soon. You know what I sit and do? I sit and twist my beard while I'm watching Arsenal. Um, and and it's really like not the one. Uh, it's like my new nervous habit. Uh, he also says, love the show. Keep up the good work. Thank you for tuning in, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Um, lots more questions. I'm not going to be able to get through all of them tonight, but I promise you uh, we'll do another Q&A sesh uh, in our tactical analysis show tomorrow uh, when we break down the game in a little bit more detail. Got lots of stuff planned for that one. Uh, made a few uh, observations that I would love uh, to share with you guys, but I need more time and I need the tactics board and some images and things like that to really enhance that. Uh, so we'll do it tomorrow. Um, I'll just take this one finally from uh, Odradek, who says, what do you think Arteta was saying to Lacazette after taking him off? Well, Lacazette was asked about this post-match and he said that it was just um, just a tactical conversation that was taking place. OK, let's have a look. Oh, wait, hold on. I saw a question that that um, that has, uh, has, has caught my attention. Hold on, where is it? Here it is, Sco. Harry, me and my wife had our first kid last week. Advice. Sko, first of all, mate, congratulations. I haven't seen you in the chat for a bit, so maybe that's why. Congratulations, first of all, man. Hope the little one's well. Hope the missus is well. Um, my advice, sleep whenever you can. Or just accept mentally that you're not going to sleep much for the next couple of years. Yeah, it lasts as long as that. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, all the best, man. Good luck and uh, get to sleeping. It's uh, it's really, really important. And let, let everybody else, lovely chat here. Uh, wishing you congratulations. So uh, all the best at Strife says, say goodbye to sleep, my friend. Indeed. Right, let's wrap up with a look at the Premier League table. Where does tonight's victory at Molyneux leave the Gunners in the race for the top four? Where we're currently in fifth position. We've played 22 games We've got 39 points on the board. One more point and we'd be safe. Um, look, we're we're in a good position. We're just a point behind West Ham United. We've got two games in hand over them, two games in hand over Chelsea, which if we win those, we'd go up to 46 points. Right? I'm not saying we're going to catch Chelsea, but that just shows you that for all the expectation at the start of the season around the two clubs and the, the differences in expectations, for Arsenal to be that close to Chelsea is obviously a positive um, Manchester United, look, they're hot on our heels. They're on 39 points too. They've played a game more, but we've got games in hand. We, we still need to do the business. We still need to win them. Tottenham are still well in the race as well. They've got a game in hand over us. 
which if they win, takes them level on points with us. And of course, we've got to go to Tottenham. So it's still really open. It's still all to play for. I don't, I, I never saw Wolves as a top four contender. And I actually expect, and this might come back to bite me in the ass, West Ham United to drop off eventually as well. But look, we're in a really, really good position. It's more than I expected at this stage of the season. That's got to be a positive. We're seeing spirit. We're seeing fight. We're seeing tactical maturity from this Arsenal team. It looks like the negative Nancys are, are in hiding tonight and, and rightly so because Arsenal went there, silenced their critics, got a massive, massive three points. And uh, I am delighted. We'll be back tomorrow, as I say, or later on today, if you're listening via the audio, for more uh, more breakdown of this. And we'll talk, look at some of the tactical elements in particular and uh, assess some of the individual performances with the help of some stats and diagrams. But until then, if you are watching us live, have a good night's sleep. Sleep well. Arsenal really doing the business tonight. Um, and if you are listening to us or watching us in the morning, good morning. Don't forget, hit the like button on the way out. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're new. I'll catch you all very, very soon with more. Until then, goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.